Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We know you've got a lot going on in your world, and we're honored that you're tuned in today. Uh, You're going to love today's episode. It's with Daniel M. Love him. He's got lots of good things to say, but I also want to bring your attention to a tool that you really should be adding to your tool belt right now in this kind of intra-COVID, post-COVID world. It's called Ministry Grid. Uh, Ministry Grid has a library of over 3,500 training videos. The training of your people and being able to do it online is more important now than it has ever been before. They have 850 courses ready to go, and you'll be able to add in your own training. For instance, what are you going to be telling to your guest services people as you look at reopening up? It's going to be important to train them very well, and you need to do that online. You can't get them together. So what I want you to do is I want you to drop by ministrygrid.com forward slash unseminary. Uh, Not only can you take their content, but you can customize it by adding your own videos, PDFs, YouTube videos, and so much more. You get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for just $597. You can do that at ministrygrid.com forward slash unseminary. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com forward slash unseminary. All right, let's enjoy today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you are listening in today. Uh, We live in a different world than we have been uh, with all this COVID craziness going on, but I'm super excited to have my friend Daniel M. with us today. Daniel is uh, a part of a church here in Canada uh, called Beulah Church, a fantastic church that you're going to want to be tracking with. Uh, You no doubt know uh, Daniel, or maybe have heard of him before uh, from the New Churches podcast. Uh, He uh, uh, was a director of church multiplication at Lifeway. Uh, He's one of those thought leaders that I love listening to and lean in on, particularly particularly just around the whole area of leadership, church multiplication, multi-site, multi-ethnic ministry. Daniel, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you again, Rich. Yeah, so there for folks that are listening in, um, there are there are a few people, and Daniel is one of them, who I just have an open invitation to. Hey, anytime you want to come on, you come on the show. Now, I don't I don't have that with lots of people. There's Daniel, there's Warren Bird, there's Kerry Newhoff. I think that might be it. And I think um, one of these is not like the other. So, <laughs> and uh, no, not at all. So, uh, just I just want to be totally honest with the people who are listening in. Uh, we had set up this interview uh, back before any of us know knew what coronavirus was. Uh, and but but I actually think it's super germane to where we are now. I actually think it's it's um, it's actually super topical. I think. Uh, so what I want to do is is actually talk about a book that came out before all this went in February uh, that you've written that I I think has um, just incredible application for us. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us about the church you're at. uh, Give us a bit of the Daniel M. story. Yeah. So I uh, born and raised Vancouver, Canada. So I'm Mm -hmm. a BC boy, uh, grew up on that side. Last five years, Christina and I and our three kids, we were living in Nashville. So I mean, I'm fast forwarding quite a bit, but we've uh, moved around and pastored in different cities and such and contexts. But last five years, I was down in Nashville working at Lifeway, figuring out how Lifeway is going to resource the church. And that's that whole new churches side of things. But about a year ago this time, it was actually last year, Palm Sunday, is when I was Hmm. candidating to come back to Edmonton, to come back to Canada. 
I'd pastored at Beulah before doing adult ministries and groups and and all of that uh, fun stuff. And that's actually what led me down to Lifeway. So I left mm-hmm. Beulah to go to Lifeway and then I left Lifeway to go back to Beulah because uh, basically, long story short, uh, succession process, senior pastor succession process that we're in the middle of. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's incredible. Like I love the fact that we're back in Canada uh, mm-hmm. During this time as well, I mean, it was definitely a missionary call that we sensed coming back, where we sensed God saying, no, I'm calling you to be a missionary here in Edmonton and to reach this city, to reach um, and to really focus in on Canada. So that's something that, I mean, long story short, something that had been bubbling up in me, especially during that weekend when I was candidating. So we ended up packing our bags and moving back to Canada, giving up our green cards, <laughs> yeah, which crazy. were crazy. Yeah, was, which you know all we about. We did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because you and I went through that process. I was down in Jersey and then you came a little bit later and we, we went through the green card process. You went through the green card process and then we went through the process of giving it back. Yeah, yeah. Which, which the U.S. immigration people just, they, they don't, they look at you strangely. You yeah, they're like, you, you people kill for literally an immigration agent said people kill for this and i'm like yes i don't know if you should right. be saying that but yeah exactly exactly yeah it's amazing yeah so so we came back last august perfect why don't you tell us uh about beulah kind of give us a sense of the the ministry it's a fantastic church and so kind of give us the, a bit of a context of the of the church yeah we are now in our 99th year as a church and the church has planted over 60 churches since its beginning. Wow. So it's, I mean, the the legacy of this church is incredible. And a big thing in the succession process, I mean, the, the elders were like, hey, we really want to make sure that we're going back to our roots of multiplication and being a church that mm. multiplies. And, and the church right now is a multi-site church. And um, I mean, it definitely has that legacy of multiplication. So that that that's really what uh, I I don't know if peak the curiosity or peaking my curiosity is what it was because I wasn't planning on moving back at all. I mean, we loved our life in Nashville, but there is definitely uh, the, a heart tie to the fact that this church is so passionate about multiplication that, yeah, that that's, I mean, that's what I was doing at Lifeway. And I mean, that's been kind of my, my heart cry and my I mean, you and I have had so many conversations around this side of things yeah. too. So yeah, I just geez. love the fact that the church is all about that. So the vision of the church is actually to reach 1% of Edmonton, which Edmonton being about uh, greater Edmonton being about 1.2 million and continuing to grow is a, is an interesting number to uh, strategize ministry around. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And this is, um, yeah, that's, it's uh, so much we could talk about there. And I, I love that, um, you know, the church really le- leaning forward and saying, Hey, like not only have we done, uh, you know, all this church planting, but we want to keep that in our DNA and really look to the future and look through this transition, um, you know, as t- how do we strengthen that? And obviously with your, uh, you know, your strong background in history and that that makes total sense. Now we could have a whole conversation around the succession deal, which we should save for another time. Because uh, because there's a lot of churches that are in that that boat and are wrestling through that and um, you know, and, and we need great healthy models of that. And, uh, and it's been exciting to watch from the outside, uh, you know, that happening, but we actually want to dive into, um, you know, this book that you wrote, uh, which is, was called, you are what you do and six other lies about work, life and love. And it, it, why don't we start with kind of, why did you write this book? What was the driver behind that? What was the kind of passion that said, Oh, I, I want to write a book on this topic. 
Yeah, it's it's. I actually stumbled across this research on the gig economy, and uh, when I came across this research, what astounded me was how fast what this was, this gig economy, and how mm. fast it was growing. And when I dug deeper into that, I was like, "Oh my goodness, what is this? Like, if it's this." rampant and this fastly growing and and it's it seems to be everywhere like how is this affecting christians how is this affecting pastors how is this affecting not even that like everyone in our world because the gig economy is basically you know you're a part of it if you're self-employed in a part-time or full-time capacity and you're getting paid for your time skills possessions or expertise so what astounded me was in uh in about 35%. So this is 2019, 35% of the American workforce was a part of it. And that is a that it's about that number in Canada, uh, in the wow. UK and in Australia as well. But what's crazy about the American wow. number is that that's 57 million Americans. Wow. Right? That's, that's like incredible. Canada, that's Liberia, massive. Greece and Puerto Rico all combined. <laughs> Right, it's massive. It's ma- and and we've seen this. I think yeah. you know our his you know our kind of um, naive version is like, oh yeah, this we're talking about Uber drivers, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much more than that, right? It's such a significant piece of you know what's going on. What would be some of the kind of profiles of the gig economy? People, you know, to get our kind of heads around what that could look like. For sure, for sure. And so, yeah, anyone who's self-employed, right? So yes, Uber, yeah. Airbnb. If so, here's the here's probably one of the things that most people relate to is if you've ever sold something on Facebook marketplace, Mm, right? right. That means you're a part of the gig economy. So it's this idea of being self-employed or so there's that sense of now that's obviously with an app and there's a lot of ways that you can make money via apps these days. But even without an app, if you've ever mowed someone's lawn or, you know, your kid is babysitting someone else or, you know, even getting a haircut, every time you get a haircut, you're funding the gig economy. I mean, right. I mean, not these days, <laughs> unless right, you pay right, your right. spouse or whoever to, to, to pay, her, you know, to cut your hair. But <laughs> yeah, you're not getting your hair cut these days. That's for sure. I don't have any hair. So yeah. So it's but crazy, yeah. right? It's, it's like, it's literally, if you're not part of the gig economy, you're funding the gig economy. Mm. And, in, and in the last five years, 68% of all gig workers surveyed joined the gig economy. Hmm. So now, it's just, I, yeah, the it, rampant yeah, growth in this is what, yeah, fascinated me. Yeah. So now I, I, when I was first in ministry, I was mentored by a guy, a business um, leader, marketplace leader, great leader who I still look up to and say, you know, it's like super formative in my um, experience. He would be in his uh, late eighties now. He might actually be 90 now, but he, um, he worked for Bell Canada, big company here in Canada, phone company. And uh, I remember even at the time, he, we were talking once about kind of all the different jobs he did at Bell Canada. And he was a company man, you know, that idea of like he mm-hmm. started out of university and went literally all the way through till retirement, did all different kinds of jobs. And, you know, at one point he had a job. They didn't have, they wanted to keep him. This tells you how much the economy's changed. They loved him so much. They're like, man, you're a great guy, but we don't have a job for you right now. So literally what he did was he was at the office and his, his boss said to him, listen, just show up to work, bring a paper and read the paper. Um, and when, it, you know, if there's ever an emergency, uh, we will send you to kind of be the on-site problem guy all across Canada. And so, so sure enough, that's what he would do. There'd be like some problem in Moncton in some center and he would like fly out there, be there for a week and then come back. Now, the, the, the two things that I've often looked back on, I thought that's amazing is so upside down to the gig economy. Their loyalty to him was so high that they wanted to keep him. Mm. Um, 
and then vice versa, his loyalty to them was like, well, I'm, I'm, I want to be a company man. I want to stay. The gig economy is not that obviously it is. It, it's, it's some different way that we think about work. How this is a very long intro to get to a very short question. How do people <laughs> think differently about the gig economy and, and how is that shaping our ideas uh, you know, as as Jesus followers or people who are you know in the church, how is that shaping kind of the way we think about work or changing the way we think about work? Yeah, and that's that's what that's what inevitably ended up in a book or, or led to this me writing this book because I, I mean I'm not an economist and I'm not I wasn't going to write a book on this thing in you know purely on that research, but as I dug into it more and more and you know the idea of the side hustle and and how these days it seems like people it's not do you have a side hustle it's what is your side hustle so when when you think about it from that perspective I was like okay what is this doing to our souls what is this doing to the way that we approach life and work and love and and as I dug into it more there are the seven lies that I write in the book but here's the core lie that ties them all together the gig economy promises a life of freedom and flexibility or a life of control so so it's it's this sense of oh you the only reason you're not you don't have that newest gadget or the only reason you're not going on on this i mean no one's going on vacations right now but the only reason you're not going over there or, or gonna be going is because you don't you don't have enough money or you're not hustling enough you're not doing this so so you know stop binge watching netflix and instead go earn some extra money and said right, right. so there's a sense of hey you are you are in control you are ultimately in control mm-hmm. you have unlimited earning potential because you don't need to work for someone anymore and get a part-time job working at a grocery store. Whatever. You could just work for yourself because we all have stuff lying around in our house. You could just go and sell that stuff. So right. there's that sense of freedom and flexibility and control that the gig economy promises. And, and it's actually kind of made it elusive in the sense that, oh, yeah, we can. Yeah, we actually can. We actually can achieve that. I mean, just think four-hour work week, right? I mean, that's that. That is that is that is the life that this That's gig economy promises us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had first I'd first heard a term last week that I'd never heard before, which was hustle porn, um, and I'm like, what is that? It's this idea, and and a part of this is you know related to this kind of gig economy or this um, kind of new way of thinking about work. It's you know there's all these um, pundits or influencers out there who are you know, selling this idea of just work harder, work 50 hours a week, work 50 hours a day. And, you know, you can get what you want. You're just not working hard enough. And the particular person I was listening to was like, that's just actually not true. Like you, you could be just sustaining a very bad work habit. You're just, you know, pushing, you know, stuff that's not actually um, working. So what is, when you think about, so this idea that you can have it all, um, which sounds like a really, um, great thing uh why would is that dangerous for us or why is that something why is that a lie why is that something we shouldn't be um you know really buying into as christ followers or should be cautious about is probably a better way to say it um as people who follow jesus yeah i mean it's the lie from the garden (laughs) right Mm, packaged mm. in a different way and and i think that's why it's so compelling it's so compelling because deep in our souls, uh, in our sinful natures, there's a sense of, yeah, I, I, I do want control. I, I, I am the master of my – even you look at Moses going up and you know Aaron being there and, and, and everyone – I mean, he's, he was gone 40 days, right? And everyone revolting and being like, make us our own God and completely forgetting everything else. It was – they wanted control. 
and you and you see this meta narrative all throughout the scriptures of of even the right Judas wanting control, the disciples wanting control, everyone wanting control, mm. and and it seems to be this reoccurring lie that it's just packaged in different ways. So so if with the gig economy growing, and this is actually why I think the gig economy has grown so much, is that mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of like it's 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 so elusive it's so elusive yet it seems so it's it's like mist right like you see it i can get it i see it i'm kind of in it but it kind of just dissipates and you're like what am i left with because i've had so many conversations with guys and this is i mean we think uber but i've had so many uber conversations with drivers who'd be like oh yeah, yeah yeah um i'm i'm doing this because i'm you know my kids and family they're at home watching a movie and i, I mean i don't really like sitting around so i'm gonna do this because i gotta pay their university education and i'm like right. do you realize what you're doing right now like you are sacrificing time right. that you could be spending with your family for hopeful time that you might be able to spend with them later, but who knows if they're even going to want to spend that time with you because you haven't invested into it now. Hmm. So there's this elusiveness of hustle, 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 get the life you want. And then you finally get it. And you're like, well, you're on vacation. You're like, well, actually my kids don't want to hang out with me because (laughs) they don't even know me. Yes. Wow. That's powerful. Um, now, so kind of pivoting and thinking about church leaders a little bit. So, you know, one of the things, this is why I think this book is so germane right now is I think, you know, we are, we seem to be heading into a shifting economy. Mm. Um, you know, we're recording this just to date stamp it, you know, here kind of middle of April and, you know, we're in the mode where, you know, economists and all that are pointing towards, Hey, there's a change, a change coming on the horizon. And that will naturally push, um, or you would anticipate that'll, that'll put pressure on churches. It's going to put pressure on individual leaders. It's going to put pressure on people in our churches to adopt, you know, more of these kinds of models. What would you say as a first, as like a pastor pastoring in a church, um, how are, are there kind of unique things you need to be thinking about caring for people who are, are maybe on that treadmill? Mm. Um, what would you say to somebody who's, you know, when you talk, cause we've bumped into those people, they're like, well, I drive for Uber. I also do DoorDash and I'm, and I, I go to garage sales on sun, Saturday morning and then I sell stuff on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you engage pastorally with someone around that? What would you be saying? Or how would you want to kind of lead that conversation? If someone came to you and said, oh, I just, I just don't know if I can do this. Yeah, yeah. So there, we have to first start with awareness of what Mm -hmm. the gig economy is doing to us. And especially for those in your congregation that are making their income, whether it's side income or primary income via the gig economy, you need to just recognize. And that's why I walk through these seven lies, because these seven lies in the book are actually um, permutations or, or iterations of this core lie, you know, adaptations Mm. of that. So, so every, with each and each of these seven lies, those that you are pastoring, they're going to be believing one or more or even all of them. And they're actually going to be doing and participating in the gig economy in order to find their identity in this, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, the first lies, you are what you do. So there's a sense of, oh, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm going to be making my side hustle as a contractor or is doing this because I, I love the entrepreneur. I, I like being my own boss and, and I like the freedom that comes from that and the identity of being an entrepreneur. And, and there's a sense of uh, if that grows and I'm going to be more secure and I'm going to feel better about myself, I'm going to be a founder, right? I mean, isn't that yes. kind of the new, like the new tagline that everyone desires, yes. like founder, 
<laughs> right. Exactly. So true. so true. Right. So there's, there's that, or maybe it's another one where it's like, oh, you are who you raise. So for all the parents right now that are trying to figure out homeschooling and are diving deep in it, it's like, okay, if you feel like you're failing, you're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm failing as a parent. Cause I'm not, I'm like, my, my kids are going to fail. My, and, and you just, mm. and you, and you tie that mm-hmm. back to yourself and you're like, well, how can I do better than I'm going to go hustle and do this? Or I'm going to learn this or do that. And, and it's ways that we attach our identity. So first and foremost, as a pastor, you just need to know that these seven lies, uh, whether you're in the gig economy or not, they're affecting those in your congregation. Cause if you're not working in the gig economy, you're funding it. And that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the thing about it where that's how it's so pervasive because it's not just those people over there. And, you know, every generation is a part of it. Boomers, the least, it kind of goes up the younger the generations go. So if you have boomers that are a part of the gig mm-hmm. economy, then you have more Gen Xers than boomers and then more millennials than Gen Xers and more Gen Z than, than millennials that are a part of it. But everyone's a part of it and everyone's working in it in that sense. Interesting. I appreciate you mentioning Gen X. As a Gen Xer, always nice that <laughs> not they the forgotten don't generation. Get forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's great. So now, um, another kind of from a you know thinking about it from a church point of view, I know that there are um, church leaders out there that, frankly, they're looking at new. Um, employment models for their own church, frankly. They're trying to Mm -hmm. think, hey, maybe there's a different way for us to think about how we do staffing. Um, Maybe our budget is under pressure. Maybe we're trying to figure out kind of what that looks like. Um, you know, this, this book obviously isn't, you're not writing from a like, Hey, here's employment standard stuff and all that. That's not what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you, what would you have us be thinking if we're thinking maybe what I need to do is figure out if there's some side hustle people that can help us at the church. Um, maybe that's a better path forward. Um, you know, it, it, should we even be thinking about that? Or is that like just such an anathema? We shouldn't even be going down that road. What, how should we be thinking about those issues as church leaders? Yeah. So here's the, here's the interesting thing. I'm, and I'm glad you time stamped it because we're in the middle of COVID-19 and all that. So pre-COVID, what I would have said was um, the, the biggest challenge that pastors and church leaders have because of the gig economy is in volunteering, is that volunteer mm. for volunteers, every hour is a billable hour. So, <laughs> yes, so 10, 15 hour, 10, 15 years ago, yeah, you might've gotten someone on your church staff or not church staff, you know, church member who might be doing some website and they would do a website for you and update it and keep it up to date because you didn't gig. I mean, that wasn't something you likely did, but these days it's like, it's going to be, it's harder and harder to find that because that person could actually go make money and go make 50, 60, 80, 100, $150 an hour doing that kind of work on mm-hmm. on freelancing websites. Now, I would that that so that's and I think part of that is going to remain true, but the interesting thing that I've noticed during COVID is that people are now time rich. Mm-hmm. They may be money poor in some senses, but people tend to be hungry, but they're also time rich because some of those contracting jobs are be, are are not necessarily completely disappeared but they they're not as high in demand cuz a lot of companies and organizations don't have that kind of um margin anymore or they're saving that margin. Mm. So in light of that mm. honestly the encouragement that I'd have today is yes 
I, I know there's definitely been a trend toward more and more paid staff rather than people giving of their time significantly because I think the gig economy, every, every hour is a billable mm-hmm. hour. But I think we are in a unique opportunity right now where people want to give, they want to serve, they might have more free time in the, on their hands. And they're like, well, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, I do. I can't give to the church right now because I lost half my income, but I don't really want to sit around just binge watching Netflix. Yeah, let me help with that. And I want to volunteer yeah. and do this. Love and they it. want to give in that manner. So I think that's a great opportunity at the moment. Yeah, I love that. I think that's uh, I think that's a really good um, point. You know, one of the things that's been a little bit weird for me, and I've been saying this, it's the first time I've said it publicly. I've said it privately with a lot of church leaders. One of my concerns, frankly, in the season we're in right now, and again, I should have checked when this is going to broadcast, but um, in the season we're in right now, is most of our churches have become primarily driven by paid staff that actually mm. everything we're doing it's all paid staff which is is a bit of a it's a that's a dangerous trend like that yeah, yeah. we can't continue that we um you know we have to find ways to engage volunteers we we um if if we lose that volunteer base as a church um you know that doesn't project well for the future and so i, I love that idea a couple of weeks ago we had uh, jeremy jernigan on who talked about this whole idea of releasing volunteer staff that how do we you know how do we do that and so um, I think that's a good practical encouragement. Hey, church leaders, we should be thinking more about what do we do to engage volunteers. And I think that's going to happen when there's a compression in our budgets, frankly. Um, you know, we we have to get more creative. <laughs> we can't just do what we've we've always done. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing about the gig economy, right? Because I think on the one hand, COVID has affected the gig economy in the sense of, okay, who's taking Uber now and who's renting out houses and Airbnb? There's that travel side that has definitely taken a hit, yet it is the gig economy that uh, that's actually where you can find jobs right now if you've lost your job, right? In right. delivering groceries, in delivering meals. And and that's the interesting thing because even for your staff, you're like, oh, but you know, do I want to do that or this or that? And and what what's interesting is the ministry that can happen if you wanted mm-hmm. if you want to actually give of or or you know don't think of it as five ten hours a week to try to do you know to try to make a lot of money i mean you're not making a ton of money but what it is is it's you can actually it gives you the opportunity to get out of the house it gives you the opportunity to pray for those you are delivering for those that you are ministering to and and i just use that example because i think most people have a car and uh most people can or have access to one where you can deliver in that manner but there's i mean Mm -hmm. the gig economy is not just focused in on that right yeah, no, I know a, a buddy of mine, Brian Buf- Buford, um, they're in um, Massachusetts. They have a, a residency program for church planners, and one they're in the first month of their residency. So these these people come, they want to be church planners. In the first month of their, their, their residency, they make them, I think it's 20, 20 Uber trips. They make them do 20 Uber trips. Like you got to start to open an Uber account and dry, and do 20 trips. And the goal is to get into spiritual conversations in those 20 trips. Yeah, love it. Um, and, and so two parts of it, Brian says two things. One, hey, chances are a lot of these, which we'll get into in a second, a lot of these um, church planners may end up being bivocational. Yeah. And so we want to actually show them how you do that. And then also, uh, you know, if, if there's the whole spiritual conversations thing, if, you, if we can't have church planners that aren't able to strike up a conversation with basically any random person, um, you know, they're going to be greatly diminished in their ability to do that as a church planner. 
um, which I think is really uh, inventive. Um, and I would love to talk about the bivocational thing, which is not, I realize the book is talking about the gig economy, but it kind of relates to that whole mm-hmm. area. I suspect that there are church leaders who are listening in today that are thinking, they're seeing their own you know, they're, they're trying to make the decision, right? They've been down 30%. They're looking at their, what they get paid and they're thinking, hmm, maybe I need to take a step back, do some bivocational stuff. What advice would you give pastors that are facing that today? Again, it's not directly related to what your book's talking about, but it's kind of in the neighborhood. Um, what, what would, what would you, what should we be thinking about if we find ourselves in that scenario today? Yeah, I honestly, I think bivocational ministry used to be this sense of you're not good enough. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and you're not good enough to get a full time job outside of the church, and you're not good enough, and that's why, or you did something wrong, and that's why you can't take a full time salary. So I think that's typically, and and maybe that's a lie that some of your listeners, if if they're in that situation, are going to be thinking. But honestly, I would right. see bivocational ministry as an opportunity for for gospel mm-hmm. ministry, and as an op- op- opportunity for kingdom ministry. So if you find yourself in that situation, uh, one is what skills do you have right because the gig economy is you're getting paid for your time skills possessions or expertise time skills possessions or expertise so yes on the one hand you can there's a lot of stuff in your house that you can sell and you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at at even the number of people who do reselling and do make a lot of money off of that so that's possessions but there's also your time right time time and possessions there's the driving delivery side of things but there's also the expertise side of it so mm-hmm. is there coaching is there so there's a lot of a lot of that knowledge piece of it that you can actually earn quite a bit of money off of or there's the sense of hey you can learn a new skill and find employment mm. online via that. So I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't see it as a negative because mm-hmm. I mean, you and I are both a part of the gig economy as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our side hustles, uh, but part of that is because, Hey, this it's it. <laughs> honestly, the money side is one thing, but the opportunity for ministry and the opportunity to, to function oh, in your correct. areas of strengths absolutely. is, is yep. massive. So yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And to encourage you on that, church leader, if you're listening in today, we all know, um, or I shouldn't say we all know, that sounds so presumptive. I, In my perspective, I know that I have like a very small amount of what I actually do uh, that has the greatest impact for the mm-hmm. church that I'm a part of. And so a part of what I've tried to do is figure out how do I do that small thing, that 20% that gives us 80% return? Is there a way for us to do that to help other churches with that? And so, and there may be things that you find yourself like, oh, you're really good at even some of the stuff we've talked about today mm-hmm. uh, that maybe you would want to lean in and... Um, and actually try to offer that as a service to other people. Um, well, I, I want to encourage people to pick up a copy of this book. There are they, Books are things that you order and get places. Um, <laughs> so th- this book is called You Are uh, What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love by Daniel M. Um, I'm assuming we can get this at Amazon or are there other places we should be sending people? I think Amazon still does books. Uh, <laughs> it's the last time I checked. So I know, right? Yeah. I mean, if you Amazon's great. Pretty much everywhere you can get a book, you can pick up a copy. Uh, DanielLim.com slash UR is a place where it ha- you have all those links and can learn a little bit more about it. And also get the first chapter too. So, 
Yes, that's fantastic. Well, Daniel, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, if people want to track with the church, where should we send them uh, You know, for, for more information on that? Yeah, so the church, beulah.ca, B-E-U-L-A-H.ca, or if you go to danielm.com, you can find a link to that, to my social media, to, to all that place. So it's a good kind of central place too. Perfect. Thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate being on the show, cheering for you, and, and I really appreciate the conversation today. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, bro. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>